East-West Draftcast may not be suitable for all listeners. Hey everybody, welcome to East-West Draftcast. I am one of your hosts, my name is Greg Smith, and uh, joining me on the line today is a co-host who has been on the podcast a few times recently, Ryan Hogan. Welcome back, dude. Thank you, thank you. I haven't uh, drank myself out of the rotation of podcast co-hosts, so... It's I, good to be back, man. I think you drank yourself into more episodes somehow. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. So you only listened to the first half of that episode. <laughs> yeah. I, once you guys got to the part where you're like, give a give a, a review of three words or less, it, it kind of got off the rails. <laughs> well, when you slur like 10 words together, you can make it sound like three pretty easily. <laughs> yeah, that counts as one word, right? It's like, that's one nacho. <laughs> Um, cool, but yeah, yeah, no, no Jeff this time around. Uh, I know that he had said that I was going to be on the next episode. And then if you listen to the next episode, I wasn't on that one either. So, uh, yeah, I've just been pretty busy and excited to be back. Bummed that Jeff's not here. Cause I do want to podcast with that guy again. Hopefully next weekend we'll be able to, uh, get back on the same schedule, but, um, we're not going to stop. We're not, this is how we're going to try to keep it rolling, uh, with East West Draftcast going forward is, Weekly episodes, we uh, we know you guys want them, and we're trying to deliver. So um, with that said, today we're talking about Theros still. I mean, the format's still pretty new. We're still learning things all the time when we're drafting it. I like the format a lot. How about you, Ryan? I've been loving it so far. I've, um, I've started to hear the mixed reviews from people that I think have been subjected to too many aggro draws and um, have been a little, uh, little bent out of shape about the fact that someone's able to stack, you know, Four bestow creatures and a bunch of enchantments just straight up on a card and get there for the win. But um, typically it's the control players that I've been found that I found have not enjoyed it as much. But um, personally, I love it. It gives a lot of flexibility as to different styles of play without having so many sweepers to consider. It's um it's a, a game that seems more or a format that seems more particular to a board state or more uh, conducive to like very complex or dominating board states as opposed to what's in the hand. So yeah, uh, yeah, th- yeah, good for beginning players. Also good for advanced players. It seems it seems excellent. Really well designed. Yeah, our friend Jordan uh, chimed in on on our Facebook group page, uh, saying that he was kind of underwhelmed with it after having drafted the first few times and. I, I'm not exactly sure what he was talking about specifically. He mentioned the flavor and like, honestly, I don't care so much about that as far as like the mechanics of the game and how the games play out. But the one thing that I, that I said is like, you know what? If you're talking about like the depth and the breadth of the mechanics themselves and like how complex those are, it, I could see how the set would be slightly disappointing or underwhelming. But at the same time, it feels like it's the most color and tempo balanced set they've done in a really long time and that goes a long way to keeping me engaged because i don't i I don't get tired of feeling like i can't draft certain colors or i can't draft Mm -hmm. certain styles of deck and i like the fact that i can play control i can play aggro you you mentioned that maybe aggro has a, a slight leg up right now uh i think that that is the case but i don't necessarily think that control decks are dead in the water either you know what i'm saying i'm with you I'm with you. I just think that um, we were all, at least in in our little group and what I'd read quite a bit of online, like focusing more on the monstrosity aspect of it. That it was going to be like that. All the low drops seemed 
just very small, and uh, or that the creature seemed by and large to cast like one more than what you're used to paying. So, so in that sense, we thought it was going to be a bit slower, not realizing just fully how much heroic can snowball. So, so yeah, I, I think it was. It's turned out to be faster than we thought it was, but I completely agree with you on what you say about the color balance, where there doesn't seem to be a color that you just have to outright avoid, like going back a ways, green in Zendikar and white in, let's see, that was the last core set. Or black in Avacyn Restored. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like so many of those where it's don't get into this color unless you open this one bomb. And usually that bomb is of, you know, it's an uncommon and even that is on the fence. So yeah, it seems it seems very well balanced and I, I like what you say where you don't care about also the flavor and that seems to tie into an appreciation of the balance of a format where you want to win and you're not going to draft a deck just to have fun. You like you're definitely a spiky player, right, Greg? Oh, no doubt. I mean, yeah. I do like to have fun, but I have more fun when I win. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's going to trump everything. I'm not completely of the same vein, but I definitely I definitely can appreciate that, and those seem to go hand in hand. Uh, a disregard of flavor and appreciation of balance. So well, I'm, not... I'm with you. The uh, the flavor of the world, the flavor of the the Greek mythology, it seems it's secondary to a very well designed and well balanced game in draft format in this particular. I don't sense. disregard the flavor. I just don't prioritize it as much as other people might. You know. Uh, but yeah, as far as like just a good game design, I really appreciate the way this set plays because I feel like all the colors are playable. I feel like beyond that, and this is where I really like the set, most of the color combinations are playable. Whereas like sometimes you'll have a format where you can always draft any color, but if you want to pair like blue with green, it's going to be terrible or white with green. It's going to be terrible. Yes. In Theros, it feels like every color combination has some avenue to victory that you can take. And I think that that's great because it opens up flexible drafting and it just gives you more options and, and keeps the, the format fresh to you for longer. And I, I appreciate yes. that. Yeah, especially when those options are really well supported with specific cards that have either in their monocost, there's their you know, multicolor or they have an ability that particularly pairs them well with another color like, you know, the Scholar of Atheros or the was it the three two? I'm trying to think the of agent. The, uh, the agent, thank you, the agent, you know, cards that are, in some cases, in some decks, just completely fine for their power and toughness and cost, but really push them over the top with their ability. So, yeah, they've, they've made that a, a pretty big incentive, and then those are the more obvious ones where you can actually see the colors that are in their monocost or in their activated ability, but a lot of them are a lot more subtle in this format. Uh, creature type not being, you know, terribly well supported or terribly well mentioned, and then actually turning up pretty... Uh, pretty prominently in certain color combinations. So, yeah. I mean, outside of just Minotaurs being the obvious, or white-black with humans, or white-red in humans, and how pick order changes depending on what you're trying to do there. But uh, Well, but, speak, speaking of some tribal synergies, and, and white-red humans specifically, I want to kick off some pick card lists here, if, uh, if you're down. Um, yeah, absolutely. We're going to start with just kind of a warm-up list. There's no theme here. Uh, we'll, we'll get a little more complex moving forward, but... Um, if, if you're new to the podcast, what we're going to do here is I have uh, six cards in my hand here. I'm actually holding physical cards. This is fun. Uh, and I'm going to put them up against each other one at a time for Ryan. Uh, and he's going to choose which card he likes better. And he can be ar- as arbitrary as he wants as far as, like, why he's choosing the card. And that's that's what <laughs> makes it fun. So um, first up, 
Uh, pick a card, Sedge Scorpion or Cavalry Pegasus. Oh, that's a that's a great one. Wow, what a great start. Um, I would go with I would go with Cavalry Pegasus right now. Okay, no, excuse me. <laughs> no, I would go <laughs> I would go with Sedge Scorpion right now if I was trying to if I was trying to win. The, the little pet deck right now has been trying to to sneak in a white red aggro deck, and then being able to if someone is really uh, hoarding all the heroic cards and the uh, and the spells that scry and the spells that cycle uh, to really get the most out of a, a giant heroic creature, and you fall into just like a generic white red deck that's aggro, you can prioritize. You know, you can get a lot of value out of philosophers and other cards of the uh, the type. Plane speaker adept doesn't just become a two three that occasionally scries and you know or has scry affect him. Um, yeah, the Pegasus, I think, is more because your draft and what's the better version of an aggro deck might have not uh, worked out. In white-black, it seems like it can be very good. There's quite a bit of humans in there that you can get a lot of value out of as, uh, as little pingers. But Sedge Scorpion seems always good as just a very, very cheap answer to a lot of threats that can be incredibly difficult to deal with. So, yeah, Sedge Scorpion. Sedge yep. Scorpion, absolutely. In a set where the removal is, by and large, terrible, a 1-1 Death Touch does a lot of work, and I think that that is the better card. That's the one I'd choose as well. Yeah, yeah. All right, next up, uh, the Scorpion against Shipwreck Singer, which is the the blue-black uncommon 1-2 flyer with a couple spicy abilities. Yeah, and I think if the uh, this is a pick that you're just doing in a vacuum, uh, I would go with the Scorpion again, just to make sure that it's something that's going to be castable in more decks and is going to have a similar effect. Like the uh, the singer can be very good against certain decks where they have a lot of obviously small toughness guys where you get to pick them off for free with four mana, um, but just making a guy attack uh, for two is not terribly good without something else to eat the creature or that's the blocker that you need to get past. And um, yeah, what it comes down to, it's just a one two for two mana, and the two mana is difficult to cast in a lot of decks. So scorpion again as being the safer removal. Yeah, I feel like the Scorpion is the safer pick and probably overall a better card, but I do think that if we get to the point where the metagame shifts so so far towards those like aggro decks just punishing the format for doing slow things, the Shipwreck Singer is one of the few cards that is a good answer to those decks because it has just that ability to take out X-1s that are attacking Which is you. very true, and it's good against the X-1s, but it's not against, good against the heroic creature the small aggro decks, which is just making the Voltron, right? It's like put a one-drop creature, a two-drop creature, or in some cases, like, you know, the Heliod's Emissary or in green, a more expensive creature. Getting some guy and sticking him and just making gigantic. That aggro strategy, that's not the typical swarm strategy where you're not maximizing two drops as we've been used to in so long, or for so long. I do, so, think, uh, I do think that deck exists in this format, though. I think they, I, I think they both exist. I think the... But it just seems like the monstrous, or not the monstrous creature, I guess. We can't use that adjective (laughs) when talking about this one. But, like, the heroic creature that's been bestowed again and again is the more typical version of the the aggro deck for a lot of the color pairings. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, so, like, just giving minus one, minus one is not as good as, uh, as it might seem, given our, like, our history of what an aggro deck is. Yep, and I and I do think that the singer suffers the the problem of it 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 has this ability that can force opposing creatures to attack, right? Mm-hmm. But it's in the two colors which 
have some of the fewest answers, like the fewest bodies on the ground yeah. that can punish somebody for just having to attack, yes. you know, and not being like, if you can't activate that second ability as well, then like, if you're just making something that attack, you want to be able to block it in theory and black and blue don't have the best blockers in this format. Truly. Truly. Um, yeah, I think I'm with you on the sedge scorpion, although I do think that one's very close. Mm-hmm. Um, next up, uh, Sedge Scorpion against a card that has gone way up in my estimation since uh, I first saw the set spoiled. <laughs> Wave Crash Triton. Oh, Wave Crash Triton for sure. Um, oh, you're, okay, so you're just slamming it. It's not. Oh that yeah, that, that's a slam. That's a slam for me. And uh, and I could say the exact same thing. It's gone way up as the ability is particularly good against that style of deck that I just described. Uh, the heroic deck, the heroic bestow deck, where pretty much any I don't want to say every card, but almost every every card except for Phalanx Leader, where they want to go all in on it, you're going to be able to answer it really well with just targeting your own Triton to deal with that giant creature and, you know, fog twice, a casual a casual moments piece, and be able to sneak in your own damage. Um, the versatility of just being able to tap down a creature for two turns defensively, offensively, is something that the Sedge Scorpion doesn't have. Um, it's a relevant body even when you can't uh, you can't activate it. Uh, you don't need to mortgage it off to block, you know, someone's 2-2, as a scorpion might want to do earlier on. Um, yeah, yeah, the Triton's been the Triton's been excellent. And it's good against the monstrosity creatures too. You know, it's good against any gigantic creature, and this is a format where one gigantic creature Tends win to the win game, the game where the yeah. removal is so bad. So yeah, the Triton gets rid of it for a turn. It doesn't kill it and leave a bestow creature behind. But nothing in this format really does kill cards. You know, the the removal is so awful that car, we're we're actually looking at cards like Sedge Scorpion and Wavecrest Triton and getting excited about them. We're like, yeah. holy shit, <laughs> I can tap something down for a turn. Or holy shit, I can block with my one one and trade. Hell yeah, these are great cards. You know, it's yeah. like. And tap down before their attackers, you get to swing in. It doesn't get to swing in that turn. The next turn, you get to swing in for two. That's like that's very significant. It's not like, you know, sleeping their board was a good play a lot of the times. But uh, but yeah, like being able to do that in a format where someone has invested one, two, three cards or more onto one creature, that's a pretty big tap down effect right there. Yeah, and yeah. not only are they investing all those cards, they're investing tempo and mana, yes. and this guy can. Like, if they're not developing their board, they're just making the one threat on their board more mm-hmm. important, and and you can just take that out with a Fate Foretold on your Wave Crash Triton, you know, for a turn and allow you to crack in for a few damage. Like, the, the format is very tempo-based because the removal is so bad, and it's all about kind of having that dominating board position more than anything else, and the Triton does a lot to turn board positions around for you. I've noticed, and that was something I didn't really under I I, I definitely underestimated uh, looking at the format in the beginning. You know, mm-hmm. I'm completely completely in agreement with you. That's exactly what I was guilty of, and exactly what I've come around to. Yep. All right. So I think we're both taking the the wave crash Triton here. Next up is uh, one of those one of those threats that uh, could start to take over a board, and it's still a common uh, wave crash Triton versus ill tempered Cyclops. Tempered Cyclops. I'm gonna have to go with the Triton right here, um, just because the ill-tempered Cyclops. That is the the three mana trampler. Yep, monstrosity four, four. for and, six. 
Yeah, yeah, monstrosities per six. And when it monstrosities, it becomes, you know, six, a very six. a very good creature when it monstrosities. But, you know, not too different from something like the Volpe and Goliath, which is already around. And um, it doesn't have a dominating effect when you monstrosity it. It just simply becomes bigger. And just becoming bigger than, uh, than another creature... Monstrosity is particularly vulnerable to a lot of the removals, the instant speed removal spells and bounce, as opposed to a lot of the creatures that you want to trigger heroic on might have a bestow creature on top of it as well to provide some sort of uh, insurance when it gets removed or removed at instant speed. But um, yeah, the Cyclops is, I think Cyclops is good, but in a lot of decks you just want, you just want the Borderland Minotaur over it. You just want all other four drops in your other color over it. While the Triton does something so particularly unique, I think with a skilled player, you want to have that unique effect as much as possible, that unique answer that you can abuse um, as needed, as opposed to just having a threat that's, in terms of threats that are easily to deal with, one of the easier ones to deal with. Yeah, I'm actually going to go with the Cyclops here, and this kind of speaks to my own kind of slant on the format. And and again, it kind of comes back to the fact that removal is not especially good, that I've found that the best decks I've played against and played with have mostly been just jam-packed with good, efficient threats. And as opposed to something that goes all in on one strategy, like a... I mean, this is a card with monstrosity, but the fact that he's a 3-3 trample on his own at 4 mana, that's pretty respectable. And because a lot of those 2 and 1 mana and 3 mana cards are relatively smaller for their mana cost than we're used to. A 3-3 Trample for 4 is actually, I think, above the curve in this format. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the fact that it's it can remain relevant late game by getting to be a 6-6 Trample, I think, is, is very good. But just in general, overall, I find that what I want more than anything in most of my decks are just a lot of really good creatures and... Because because cards like Wave Crash Triton exist, because that card can tap down my best threat. So if I'm all in on one good threat and then I have a bunch of other mediocre cards, I can lose to one effect very easily. Whereas if I have a bunch of ill-tempered Cyclopses in my deck and I attack in with two, two cards of that caliber, and they go, okay, I'm going to deal with this one. You'd be like, okay, Monstrosity, the other one. you know. Mm-hmm. And it's just that flexibility and the fact that it's just a consistently good threat at most points of the game, I, I value that highly in this format. Okay. Hmm. I'm, uh, that's I, probably like the one card that I haven't really explored of all the con- of all the cards that you could possibly mention right there. The one card that I might've played with the least. So I'm going to give that a try. You've, uh, you've convinced me. I like what you're saying and I've witnessed it too. I just haven't been on the, uh, the proactive end of that scenario. So, I, I will admit that the card can be a bit of a trap in the sense that some of, or a lot of the red decks are just hyper aggressive, you know? And this guy, compared to some of those other cards, like the, the 2 2 Minotaur that gets plus 2 plus 0 when it comes into play, like, that card, while I do think is worse in a vacuum than the Cyclops, is better in some decks just because of how aggressive it is and how aggressive red as a color wants to be. Yeah, yeah. So I, I mean, I'm looking at the Cyclops as more of a kind of a mid-range slash slow game card. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Okay. So, yeah, I can appreciate that. All right. Something to something to play early and then take over a game later on, which is, if you can want to describe it in those terms, is really common of a 
like a well a control deck or a mid range deck, not just an aggro card. So right. yeah, but it does have trample, and that's a pretty relevant ability with the the glut of pump spells that are running around in red and white and green. So well, yeah, that's another thing that I guess is worth mentioning is that because there are all these like heroic enablers, all these pump spells, all these auras that you want to slap down on your dudes. The fact that the, the, the fact that the Cyclops inherently already has trample is a pretty big game. Like, yeah, you're not, you, it doesn't, you don't have to wait till it gets monstrous for a ticket trample. Uh, if you don't have six mana to make it monstrous, you could still put an ordeal on it and get in there with a four, four, you know? So mm-hmm. I think, I think that matters. Okay. Uh, yeah, la- I'm with you. Last up wave crash Triton. And this, I don't really know how, uh, how much you like this card, but Rescue from the Underworld is is what it's up against. I haven't actually seen a Grey Merchant online in a couple weeks, so <laughs> it's hard for me to evaluate uh, Rescue as a in the same context as I did, I, I think, the last time I discussed it, which was, I, I regard it as essentially, best-case scenario, it's another Grey Merchant. Okay. Or, well, really, best-case scenario, it's two more. But two more. In actuality... Um, as the format has seemed to be a little bit quicker than I thought it was, I've been perfectly fine just to have, like, March of the Damned to get cards out of the yard and not work, worry about the trick, not worry about, like, the chump block or blanking removal half of it where you sacrifice the creature that's about to die anyway and get it back. Um, that's come up so infrequently, and I know it's an uncommon, so these effects will come up a bit infrequently in testing. But it's come up so infrequently that where I, where I saw a lot of the value wasn't nearly as significant as I once thought it was. Well, so, um, not, not to mention the fact that if you're playing it in that way, you have to leave five mana up, which I think in this for, if in this format, if you're leaving five mana up into your opponent's turn, you're probably doing it wrong. I can see that, uh, depending on what your deck is. It's in, not in, like in a black deck. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah, it's maybe not just a base black card. It, it works in certain decks like black blue, black green, green black blue. You know, some sort of graveyard recursion theme. And I guess even to a lesser extent, black white, black red. <laughs> oh wow, did I just name them all? I off? think yeah, I think you've <laughs> named all five color <laughs> combinations. Hey, hey, that's the tip of the hat to Theros. That every every deck has some sort of good pairing where that effect could be relevant. But no, I would just I would still go with the Triton just for for cheapness and efficiency. Yeah, um, I think it's Triton's. Triton's average effect on the board and effect on the game is going to be much better than Rescue's typically is. Yeah, I, th- I think that the Rescue is, is more of a cute card and more of a card that le- I'm, I'm actually with your initial observation in that unless you're running a couple of Grey Merchants, it's probably not a card I, I want in my deck in the first place. Yeah, the Enters the Battlefield effects are not terribly significant in this deck. They're great in black when you have, you know, Disciple in the Grey Merchant, or vice versa, depending on where you're at, actually, in your mana. Right. But, um, and what you really need to do. But yeah, outside of that, there's not, there's not a terrible amount of great Enters the Battlefield effects. Like, let's think about them, like, Evangel is a good one, uh, Nylia's Disciple, to name a couple, I guess, Fanatic of Mowgli to maybe a lesser extent. For Blue, <laughs> what is it, like, Wave Crash Triton? There's not too many, really back-breaking enters the battlefield effects that you're going to buy in other colors. It's really just particular black cards. Fanatic of, uh, no, Fanatic of Mowgli, but excuse me, the, um... The one that gives... The Marauder. Yeah. Yeah. Mogus's Marauder. Mo- yeah, Mogi's Marauder, yeah. Yeah. Okay. 
Yeah, I'm, so, so, I'm not a huge fan of the card. I put it in the list mostly just because I wanted to talk about it and, and kind of see how, what you felt about it because it's a card I've had a hard time evaluating outside of those mono black ish kind of gray merchant decks, you know? Yeah, I, I think it's a card I've picked a lot higher than I should have in retrospect a lot of the times and that there's plenty of just fine, efficient black creatures, black cards that don't require anything else to have gone down in order to get value out of it. But um, if you're really trying to abuse the graveyard, that seems like a great card to uh, to get on the wheel or get into the latter part of uh, the first eight. Yep. So, yeah. All right. Well, yeah, it seems like you ended up on the Triton and I ended up on the Cyclops there. I do think those two cards are very close, and it probably just depends on the type of player you are and, and what decks you prefer to draft. And me, I, I definitely like to turn guys sideways, I, and I would say probably more so than you. Would you agree with that statement? <laughs> Wholeheartedly. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, I mean, that kind of makes sense. But I, I yeah. definitely respect the, the, the Triton pick. That card has been very impressive to me. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, do you want to just dive into another list here? Sure. Sure. All right. Lists are great. We were talking about uh, mono black cards, and I'm going to – let's talk about the mono black deck. Let's say you're drafting that deck. That's your goal. And maybe it's pack two. You already have a gray merchant or two and some other quality black cards. Uh, and you have to make some of these following picks between these cards. Okay. So uh, this is in the context of you're, you're mono black. You're trying to make mono black happen. Yep. Right. right. Okay. I mean heavy black. One of the things I've noticed about the mono black deck is that you don't necessarily need to be all swamps because – the deck doesn't care about your swamp count. It cares about just black mana symbols on the battlefield. And it's a good lesson to take. Definitely. Yeah, no, definitely. So, um, but yeah, heavy black, mono black, however you want to consider it. Um, pick a card, boon of Erebos or scourge mark. Uh, I would have to go with the, I would have to go with the scourge mark just because of what I try to do in the mono black deck. Where you're right, you're not counting swamps, but I'm really just trying to maximize, uh, disciples and um. And Grey Merchants. So just cycling cards to get to like particularly important cards seems a lot better than um, growing one creature and making that investment on a creature. I wouldn't mind just slapping the Scourge Mark on on any card and keeping it on the board also as a you know a black permanent uh, to add to Devotion uh, rather than having it something that's uh, I'm going to grow a creature and have it disappear. Um, yeah. Confession time. I've played Scourge Mark on my opponent's creature. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> I've, I've witnessed that before too, and I've I've been guilty of that. Dragon Mantle on their creature feels a lot better when they're not playing red. That's yeah. a that's a fine cycle. But I, uh, I justified it by putting it on a Voyaging Satyr, so I was like, okay, either he's going to attack me with his Grizzly Bear or he's going to use it to ramp. The yeah. the fact that you're giving your opponent the option is not good, but <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, but I, it's like, I, I was I was land screwed. I needed to draw that extra card, and sometimes you got to bite the bullet and. Make a seemingly just awful play like that. It felt well, so bad. But yeah, yeah, it's it's not fun to give up that value. But man, when you need to hit that drop and you're going to give up maybe one, two, possibly three points of damage over the course of the game. Like if you give up three points of damage because you just can't deal with their grizzly bear, like you're I in know. a you're in a pretty bad shape <laughs> to begin with. But True. I would pay two life to to cycle a card a lot of times when I'm when I'm behind. So yep, I, uh, I, I feel bad. Don't feel bad, Greg. <laughs> Follow up question here. Uh, would you rather have in your deck? You, you've chosen the Scourge Mark here for your mono black yeah. deck. Would you rather have uh, two Scourge Mark or one Scourge Mark and one Boon of Erebos? Oh wow! Okay. Does, does that question make sense? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Like, would you rather have the diversity between these two cards? Like, if you if you knew you could have both of them in your deck, would you rather have one of each or double Scourge Mark? Hmm. 
I think once again, it just goes back to what I'm trying to do in my decks, which is just cycle into as many gray merchants as possible. They should wreck their hand with disciples and, uh, and then just finish them off with gray merchants. So, uh, so yeah, the boon is not terribly important. I'm not worried about getting the damage in early in the mono black decks or like investing in my, what, my flesh mad steed. Like right. playing Wanderer's main decks because you want to play one drops when you have ordeals or something like that. Wait, wait, did you say Boon of Erebros? Yeah, I did. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah, uh, somehow I had in my mind that it was Ordeal. But I'll stick with exactly what I said the first time. I would rather take the Scourge Mark, because uh, I don't mind having multiple Scourge Marks. But yeah, having one Boon, I've always I've always appreciated having that one mana trick. Just as, just as God's Willing is actually probably even much better, or not probably, is definitely much better in multiples. Uh, one Boon to make sure that one of these guys lives is, uh, is something I want to ensure I have in most of my black decks, no matter if it's mono black or otherwise. So, so you'd rather, I'd... you'd rather have the first copy of Boon of Erebos than the second copy of Scourge Mark in your deck, in your deck? Yes. Okay. Yes. And then afterwards, if you wanted to keep on going down, it would probably be more Scourge Marks. Yeah. I agree with you. I think that the first copy of Boon is very nice. Having that ability just to save any one of your dudes for a single black mana is a pretty powerful ability. And, I know that it's an ability because it's not often seen in black that people don't play around as often as they should. Mm-hmm. That'll change as the format matures and people get more used to playing against this card. But, um, uh, yeah, I, I do like multiple, maybe not multiple Scourge Mark, but like Dragon Mantle. Man, I'll run like three copies of that in a deck. Oh, yeah. Just because it accelerates you just through your deck so much faster so that you get to the spells you really want to draw. And I, I think that it's a powerful ability. All right. Yeah, uh, it can represent more damage. Just if I can add one more quick no, thing go for it. to yeah. why the Scourge Mark uh, as opposed to the Boon. In a mono black deck, uh, you can take particularly good advantage out of uh, um, Recursion from the Graveyard. So in black in particular, of all the other colors, well, it's really black and green or black and blue. You don't mind stuff going into the yard and those colors can support it. So... Letting your creatures die is not actually a bad thing. Like, let, when you have March of the Damned, like, you don't need to save your Grey Merchant with a boon. You want your Grey Merchant to die. Yeah. So the boon can lose a lot of value in a slower deck that's just trying to control and grind as a, as the black deck can't. Yep. All right. Uh, next up, Scourge Mark against Blood Toll Harpy. Uh, I'll still go with the Harpy. Or not still, but I would go <laughs> with the Harpy on this one. It, um, I think it represents just enough damage that whatever damage you might get out of the Scourge Mark um, for the one power out of it, for the extra damage on the Grey Merchant, for, I guess, looking at the extra card on a Disciple when you play it, you know, turn three after a two drop in some cases and play the Disciple afterwards. I think the Harpy represents just enough damage that it's that it gets a nod. And there's not a lot of early drop flyers, you know? Yeah, no, I, I was really... just about to say that. I like the fact that you can... You can race with a Vaporkin. You can trade with a Vaporkin. This this card is, I think, subtly very important in the mono black tech. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Right. Speaking of Disciple, Blood Toll Harpy versus Disciple of Phoenix. I take the Disciple here because I try and, if I'm drafting the mono black deck, try and take as many incentives for other people to take heavy black cards as possible. And um, going Disciple into Disciple is pretty is pretty beastly, where you've picked out, you know two of their worst cards, and maybe they have you know, three, four, five cards in their hand. Well, then the second Disciple you play, you really do get their best card. So unless they've just aggroed you out completely, 
you're you're trading you're getting a one three body taking a turn and getting something that was potentially going to beat you and then you really get to in a in a color with a lot of removal right between vapor's kiss Frixia's cure uh, lash the whip and sip a hemlock know what you're going to have to deal with and know how you're going to sequence your spells so I don't mind paying for the information and getting in a way a two for one so uh and especially because yeah, it's double black, and when you're trying to win off gray merchants, that uh, that extra damage can start to start to stack up. Yeah, I th- I think this pick is contingent upon how many gray merchants I already have in my pile. Mm-hmm. If I don't have any, I probably le- lean towards the harpy. If I've okay. already got one, probably lean towards the disciple. I think I can appreciate that. It's it's close, but the disciple is one of the like rare two for ones in this set, and the fact that one of those two that you're getting as a one three body isn't super exciting but it's not irrelevant either um no not at all not at all and it's good against the like the classic aggro decks right where they're playing a lot of bears and there are a lot of two ones in this format so yeah it's the one thing i'll say is that you're not really looking to chump block this thing away against a lot of the voltroned up or monstrous creatures if only because you want to keep those those black mana symbols on the battlefield. Exactly. And Truly. so it's it's better for blocking the X2s um, as opposed to just gaining some life off of a jump block. Um, yeah. Anyway, yeah. next up. Two twos, two ones. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, Disciple of Fenex versus Cavern Lampad. Uh, Disciple. Disciple's pretty... I think that one's pretty easy for me, but I've possibly underestimated the Lampad. And I've been told this by a few people, but... Um, the intimidate on it is that that great ability where it's not intimidate for the creature, you know, for black. It's intimidate for the creature it bestows on. So it gives you a lot of versatility in a multicolored deck as to what you might put it on in order to get in the damage. Right. So in the mono black deck, I would take the disciple. That's what I'm trying to do in a heartbeat. But maybe if I was a bit more split and I'm not trying to abuse the um, the uh, black devotion, then yeah, I would go with the lamp hat. Yeah, I think the Lampad's an interesting case, and I think this is, the picking between these two is, yeah, it's definitely contingent on what your deck is really trying to do. If you're all in on Devotion, the Disciple is, I think, just more important for the double black mana symbols, uh, for the fact that it's it's more of a control card. It's a 1-3 as opposed to a 2-2 that wants to turn things sideways. Um Although I do think the raw power of the Lampad and the fact that the Bestow is only six mana makes me think that that's a better card overall. I, I do think that in this deck, the Disciple is slightly more important. Yeah, I think it's. I'd be happy to have one Lampad in my deck and really just consider it a Bestow cost. Really just consider it for six. Not like I'm going to try and win the game by running out multiple Lampads, you know, turn four and five or something like that. Uh, that just isn't going to win the game. It's just too. There's too little power to the mana cost. Well, the Disciple can get you there to the state where you're at parity, they don't have cards in hand, and then you can drop a lamp pad. And one lamp pad will hopefully do the trick, while Disciples are bet much, much better in multiples and much better when played early. Yeah, I, th- I think you can kind of turn that on its head too, though. You can say, like, well, I'm going to play the Cavern lamp pad early, or as early as I can, turn four, right? And I'm going to start chipping away, and then that's... That damage that I got from the lamp pad is what's going to allow me to, to Grey Merchant them out later in the game. Because, I mean, Grey Merchant does a lot of work, but it rarely does all 20 damage by itself. 
Well, in that case, I would rather take the Harpy over the Lampad. As something that comes down earlier has just as much, not just as much invasion, but in some cases a better evasion. Uh, burns when it comes into play, so it's another relevant ability for buying back. Um, yeah, I think I would just, in most cases, if you're just talking about like aggroing out and starting the clock earlier, I would just take the three drop that also hits for two. Right. I mean, I'm I'm not necessarily trying to make the case that Cavern and Lampad is better for that aggroing out purpose. I, I'm what I'm saying is is that the ability for it to to have that mode I think is is nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, the you're right though. The Harpy does that quicker and faster. Uh, the difference is, is that if you do draw the Cavern Lampad later and you already have a Disciple or something else in play. You can bestow the lamp pad. That that extra flexibility, I think, makes it a better card than the harpy to me. Okay, I can appreciate that. Yeah. All right. Uh, anyway, you're still on this, the disciple. I think I am too. Uh, disciple of Fenex versus Read the Bones. Ooh, Read the Bones. Gonna have to go with Read the Bones. It's um, that's a card where I I guess you don't mind having it in a couple copies or a few copies. Probably depends on how much life gain you have. It definitely how much you does. Might want to do that. Yeah, like. <laughs> And best case scenario, you have some great merchants. Maybe you don't mind it quite as much, but the amount of cards that it looks at and how it just kind of, well, not only just does it support good decision-making, but it also smooths out your next couple turns where in that mono-black devotion deck, you really want to hit four and five mana every single time. You want to hit, you know, Disciple Merchant, something else Merchant, but you really you need to hit those drops, and it can make sure you hit those drops. You need to get to certain critical cards. Yeah, the bones is the bones is more important. The bones yep. is definitely more important. It's just to see that much more of your deck, to see those critical pieces. I I have just a, a question for you. Let's say you're casting a read the bones, and you need to draw like you want to draw a swamp. Like you want <laughs> to draw a swamp. Question, isn't it? This it's is a, a greed question. It's a greed question. You want to draw a swamp really bad, and you. Uh, you turn over two cards, one of which you know you're going to ship to the bottom, and the other of which is a swamp. How often do you leave that swamp that you want to draw on top, and how often do you just ship that one to the bottom too and hope that one of the two cards you draw is another swamp? What do you mean by need? <laughs> yeah, I mean, okay, so let's like, say... Do you, do you need to hit four, and then that's all you need to hit, or you need to hit five, and that's all you need to hit, or do you need no, to hit five, and me, six is good too? Let me frame it this way. Let's say that if you draw the swamp, your turn is going to be good, and if you don't draw the swamp, you're still going to have something to do, but it's going to be significantly worse or, or less exciting. Like, let's talk about maybe playing... Uh, a, a blood toll harpy versus a uh, a flesh mad steed or or something along those lines. Like if you draw the swamp, you can play the two two flyer, the two one flyer. If you don't, you have to play the grizzly bear. Or oh, okay, on that turn. On that turn, the turn. On like, that turn, so you yeah. got five mana, you can still play a drop. Right. Well, in that case, it's I don't know if that would be too significant. I would really have to evaluate, you know, how badly I lose if I don't hit this next drop. Because otherwise, if I've already got, you know, five mana and the, if the steed blocks a creature and trades and the harpy blocks a creature and trades, you know, if I... I might have chosen two cards that are too close in, in power level. Okay, okay. Let's, let's say you're... It's a, uh, it's a tough scenario to, to describe. I think... Let's, let's say you're choosing between something, like the three mana spell is significantly better. Like, like significantly. Like, uh, what's that rare guy that... Um, Agent of Fates. Yeah, Agent of Fates. Let's say it's Agent of Fates versus guy. Flesh Mad Steed. Um, 
I, I guess it all it all takes a bit of context. But if you're just talking about from going from uh, if I'm not going to automatically lose, I don't know how many turns. Like how many turns would I be giving up to to not um, or to ship the swamp and then miss to ship the swamp that would be very good for me and then miss on my next two. Um, yeah, I think I guess it really it's it's so hard to describe that scenario as like where I'd be splitting the hairs over it. I think more often than not, I would be greedier about it. And just ship the swamp to the bottom and draw two cards that you haven't seen yet? Yeah, but... It, me too. But for me to say this, I feel like... That's <laughs> maybe not like... It, it puts everything else I might say into context. Like, this is maybe not good strategy and good advice, but it'll help to take everything else I say with a grain of salt. I'm probably too much of a gambler at heart. <laughs> well, I don't know if it's actually that much of a gamble either, because I think the other thing that we're not that I haven't really put into context here is the fact that you can ship both of those cards and maybe you just draw a better two drop than the flesh mad steed. You're like, not only are you digging or are you, you might be giving up that swamp, but you could just be drawing two better cards. You know, the fact that you're digging deeper and digging closer to like the best spells in your deck by getting rid of a land. Cause you know, you're eventually going to draw that next land. And I I think in general, I'm willing to take that risk more than 50% of the time. Let me put it that way. Yeah. If if getting that land for that turn to cast another spell is not terribly important, if it's very different, like that's, that's a very different scenario than you're casting read the bones turn three and you've got some disciples in hand or something like that. It's like, I want to make sure I cast the spell on turn four. I've only got three land. That's it. I'll just take the goddamn land. Like, that's a situation I won't be greedy on. But from going from, like, you know... We're talking about the place, difference between five and six, is essentially Yeah, the difference between five and six is very different from than between, like, three and four, especially in the mono-black deck, where, you know, once again, you want to hit four drops, you want to hit five drops. So yeah. I would just take the guaranteed land at that point in time. Um, and just, yeah, and just make sure it happens. Okay. All right. I, I just that was just a kind of general strategy question because when I play this card, I think, and I think when a lot of other people play this card, read the bones. Too many people are content just to like they look at two cards on on the top of their deck and they'd be like, oh, I can use these or these cards will do things. But I think more often you need to ask yourself, is the are these the best things my deck can be doing? Mm-hmm. Because I can ship these to the bottom and draw two other cards. You know, or better saying? than an average draw, right? Right. You exactly. Know, it's not just best, but it's. Better than an average draw. Is an average draw good enough right now? Um, there's, yeah, but probably is it, you know, what's good enough right now? Am I going to lose if I make this decision is the first, <laughs> the first thing to, to worry about. You know, worry about how you're going to win first and then worry about the nuances as to, you know, what's good and then what's slightly better. Right. I mean, I framed it in the context of drawing lands, but I, I think in general, when you cast this card, you need to think about, just in general, what what do I want to draw? And and when you see those two two ah, when you see those two cards you're scrying with, comparing the power level of those cards versus what you could potentially draw if you do ship them both to the bottom, is is a very tough decision. But I think you have to be willing to make that tough decision yeah. in more games because you and I think it's going to lead to more wins. And and sometimes maybe like you're looking at some of the cards you mentioned, you're looking at. Maybe a land and a harpy, but you really don't need a harpy. And right. you gotta recognize, you know, or, or any particular card where you say, it's not gonna win me the game, it's not gonna save me from losing the game, it 
it could be okay, but you know in the context that it's not terribly good. You don't just take the card. You don't mind shipping a card, and that's just scrying in general. It's like right. Being able, it, it's a very skill testing ability where it's giving you multiple decisions, or sometimes one decision. In this case, multiple decisions as to what you're going to draw, how you're going to win this game, and what is truly good and what true is truly powerful in your deck and in the matchup that's at hand and given the board state. And that takes. It takes quite a bit of knowledge to have that have that choice, quite a bit of uh, expertise to make that choice correctly time it's, and time again. It's definitely not easy. And I, yeah. I guess it's hard just to describe the scenario as we're doing it right now. So. You're absolutely right. I just I think overall in general, I think people are afraid to send cards to the bottom, like actual spells, when in practice they should probably do it more, and I think they would win mm-hmm. more games by doing it. Anyway, this that kind of got derailed, but I think it was a good discussion to have. Um, Absolutely. Uh, read the bones against Firica's Cure, the two damage double black instant. I'll still take the bones. Yeah, I'll, I'll still take the bones, and I don't know what's going to trump the bones. Not to, you know, give away my next selections. Um, no, that's fine. I, I, think, I do think it's, it's possibly the best black common. Uh, I would take the... I mean, I guess I would take the Grey Merchant out of it, because there's many things to keep people out of oh, sure, sure. black, the better. No, no, but you're I right. I, I was totally disregarded. That card feels like an uncommon to me for some reason, just because of how powerful <laughs> it is. Or a rare, you know. I know, right? <laughs> like, oh, Boland God. was, yeah, to tip my hat to, to Boland, who's, I guess he hasn't been on the show yet, but I know you could get him at some point in time if... Yeah, we, we need to have him, the... him and Nathan on at some point. Those guys are magic fanatics. Yes, yeah, this is... uh. Just to toss out two last names for people that don't know. This is Nathan <laughs> Holiday, who won GP San Diego not too long ago in the uh, modern format. Um, doing eggs and helping to get what got banned? Bloom got banned? Or no, Second Sunrise yep. got banned after that. Yeah. Thanks, Nathan. <laughs> and uh, and Boland has been on the tour. Is it twice now, or just just once for Seattle last year? I honestly don't know. Yeah. He's anyway, just a, a guy who's you know. A, a lot of top eights in the PTQs and it's made the showing and always finishes well or showing it the pro tour always finishes well in the GPs. Just like a very good player. A and, local uh, grinder for sure. Yes, yes. Yeah. And uh but yeah, he was the first guy that said that Grey Merchant was better than most of the rares in the format. And he said this like in pre release weekend. So it took a, a a very profound understanding of the format to recognize just how good that was gonna be. Yeah. Um but yeah, yeah, that was a little aside just to tip my hat to him again. But, um, anyway, let's get, let's ball. let's get back to this uh, pick a card here. Yeah. What? How do you feel about the cure in general? Because I've I, been underwhelmed. I think it's the life gain is particularly good when I might be spending mana on Boon of Erebros and read the bones. I like to be able to you know to not be spending so much mana on powerful or not mana so much life on powerful effects. Um, Grey Merchant can make up for a lot of this, of course, but. Uh, Viper's Kiss. I think, like, why I would take, like, to speak about the cure is to speak about Viper's Kiss as well, as an answer to a lot of cards that are going to be troublesome early on, as, as an answer to a lot of cards that are going to do damage to you over the course of the game, like, burning out a bear for two and gaining two life, as opposed to giving it minus one, minus one. All right, yeah, sure, burning it out might be better, but the minus one, minus one, taking away the activated ability on, let's say, you know, a Voyaging Seder might be just as good in so many other situations. Cost one less. Add a permanent that adds to Devotion. 
So the cure is the cure is very good, but I think it's it's this not just, interchangeable it's, with certain cards. It definitely answers certain like legitimate threats right away that you really do need to answer, like a Wingsteed Rider when they've tapped out or something like that and haven't gone all in on it. But um, there there are just too many decks in the format where Firica's Cure just doesn't do enough. I think it it honestly feels almost like a sideboard card to me. Like there are some decks where I just don't want the cure at all. Yeah, yeah, and there are definitely a few of those. That's that's weird to me because it is just a very solid magic card. Um, mm-hmm. All right, well let's let's go to a different kind of removal spell here and put Read the Bones up against Sip of Hemlock. Uh, definitely, definitely Read the Bones. Okay, uh, I think. I mean, I think we've all looked at Sip and thought, you know, how the hell does this cost so much? Um, <laughs> so yeah, I, I think it's always going to be Read the Bones. Uh, as much power as you're going to get out of that selection at looking at potentially four cards from your deck is always going to be, well, if your deck is of like any amount of power, it was always going to, and you've made the decision relatively well as to what to scry and, or what to put on the bottom, what to put on the top. It's always going to be better than just destroying a creature and draining for two, especially in the format where, you know, bestow is significant and things can be regenerated and given protection instant speed paying that much taking off a whole turn for removal is at that stage of the game at six mana something that could just be dead in your hand for most of the game yeah that's that's only going to find a place in a few decks that are playing black and the mono black deck might is definitely going to be one of them because you do want to hit five and hitting six you'd be too much of a stretch yeah, I was going to say, this is one of those cards that I almost always want at least one of in my mono-black decks, because I do feel like I'm going to get to six mana most games. Yeah, and I would take... I'd be happy with one, but I wouldn't feel bad if I don't have two, you know? Well, no, I, I agree the bones, with that. I'm happy with one, and I'm usually happy with three, so... <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I would... Uh, and Sip is something that can definitely wield in a lot of decks, and I think that as people have recognize the removal for how bad it is and especially the very expensive removal it getting a sip is going to be much much easier than getting a splashable draw spell that happens earlier on yeah i just think what's important to keep in context here is how irreplaceable both of these cards effects are like there aren't many cards in the format that draw cards the way read the bones do or Mm -hmm. read the bones does um and there aren't many <laughs> there aren't many spells that that kill creatures quite as well as Sip of Hemlock does. So I, I think they're both very unique effects. Kind of getting back to how you were pumping up the Wave Crash Triton before. The the fact of the matter is that Sip of Hemlock costs six mana, and that's what kinda keeps it a step below some of these other cards. But I do think the effect is very important and very useful and uh, especially in the mono black tech. Yeah. Yeah, especially in the mono-black or green-black. I mean, just really any deck that's going to do some ramping, too. But uh, yeah. you know, the thing that's the only thing that's going against SIP is how much it costs. So if you can mitigate that with a little bit of ramp, then it's all the better when you really need to deal with those creatures that have been, you know, come down turn three, turn two, turn three, turn four, and they've been, like, bestowed upon or something, or not bestowed upon, but enchanted in so many ways. Yeah, and you need to kill it, and you need to kill it not on turn six, but turn you know four or five, the ramp counts for quite a bit. All right, last anyway. up here, uh, read the bones versus baleful Eidolon. Oh, that's a that's a really good one. That's yeah, I saved the best for, me, for last, baby. Yes, yes. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> I'll still go with the read just because how much better it is as a card draw spell. 
than, well, let's say, Scourge Mark in the mono black deck. Right. Is uh, that's night and day as opposed to how good the Eidolon is, as opposed to just having the spread of removal from Kiss to Cure to Lash of the Whip to Sip a Hemlock, with the Eidolon being, you know, in that spread of the curve between Cure and Whip. Um, Eidolon is very, very good and can sometimes just remove two creatures. Uh, best case scenario, of course, so that maybe that's maybe that should put it a little bit over the edge, but. No, there's nothing that draws cards and gives you that sort of advantage like uh, Cure does. Or excuse me, not Cure, but uh, Read the Bones does in this format. Bounty is just way too expensive. Uh, might not even be as good as a card draw spell, just in how many cards you're going to see in the first place. Yeah. And cost six as opposed to three, so yeah. Turn but six mill usually... three, Ryan! What's up? I said, but you get to mill three. No, oh, don't worry. I've, <laughs> I've put it in because it mills three before. <laughs> I'm uh, sure if it's wrong a lot of the time. You're a powerful wizard. Oh, yeah. Well, mill myself, to be fair. I no, haven't every milled time. anyone out quite yet. I, I have yet to mill my opponents unless I've used a grip tide immediately before in this format. Oh, yeah. Or they've or, or they scry. I'll keep these yeah. on top. Yeah, all right. Return <laughs> centaur. See you later. Yeah. yeah. Now, what's really going to be the powerful wizard play is when you know that they have that, and then you put some, like, you put the land on top. You don't scry the land because you want them to scry it, or not. <laughs> you don't scry the land because you want them to mill it for you because you know their hand or you intuit their hand. And... Does that really matter, though? Well, I don't know, but if you if you make that play, I hope you announce it. Yeah, all right. <laughs> I hope you, you let me know how much of a master you are at that moment. Thank you very much. Man, all right, so read the bones of the winner off of that list, um, but... Just in general, the Eidolon is what you like second most? Uh, Eidolon behind Bones. Yeah, I'll go with Eidolon behind Bones. Yeah. Okay. Eidolon behind Bones. Probably Cure behind Hemlock or Hemlock behind Cure. I think that's a little just debatable as to what you already have in your deck, where your curve is already looking like. Right. But probably probably the Cure, if I'm feeling good about playing multiple Cures in Mono Black as opposed to multiple Hemlocks. Yeah, gotcha. if I really just need to stop the early parts and that's really what's going to get mono black, then yeah, we'll go with Cure. All but right. that's, that's kind of splitting hairs. Sounds good. All right, one more quick one. This one is uh, six cards, and we're drafting a new deck this time. We're drafting a Boros aggro deck. Okay. All right? Okay. Uh, pick a card, a Crow and Hoplite, which is the, the Boros gold card. Are you familiar yes. with it? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, one, two, it gets XO from... You know, there were a number of attacking creatures. Yep. Uh, that against Arena Athlete, which is the 2-1 two, for 2 with Heroic that says uh, target creature can't block when you target it with a spell. Or... I would go with the Arena Athlete. Um, I think they're both good when you're trying to swarm, if you really just need to get rid of one blocker, presuming you have more guys on the board. Um, like, while the... Like, you might not even be able to swing with all the creatures with the Crow and Hoplite. He might be swinging in and at its best with a huge power, tricking off a bunch of creatures when they can't block at all. But that's not a really common common board state. He is just an X2, and a whole bunch of your other aggro creatures might be 2-2s, two 2-1s, two two ones, one right. ones. So they're going to know exactly who they want to trade with in that scenario. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you might not want to even swing with all the other guys. They might even not even have to trade with the Hoplite. They may just get to eat one of your guys beforehand. Uh, generally think just like having that heroic ability, uh, to trigger it at will with a pump spell with, you know, a cycler as the red white deck, I think wants to do more than wants to swarm is going to be more important and could represent much more damage than whatever the power of the hoplite ever gets up to. 
Yep. I agree with you. I like the athlete more as well. I think that the hoplite is kind of a bad card, actually. It reminds me of um, the feral animist from Gatecrash, just in that, yes, its power can become ridiculously huge if you, like, hit all these conditions, but it's still just got two toughness, and that, in the end, is a huge liability. Yeah. All right. Uh, next up, Arena Athlete versus Wingsteed Rider. Wingsteed Rider, yeah. Oh, Wingsteed snap. Rider. Snap decision. Okay. Easily. Yeah, easily. That thing is... Um... Just because the flyers, as we mentioned earlier, are pretty pretty bad in this format, and there just aren't that many that you want to cast early on. They're really bad. Yeah, yeah. He outclasses them after one activation. He's outclassed everything else. You know, potentially he's probably what they flash in a chimera to block him, and you activate him once and pump him, and he eats the chimera, and then he's out of the range of everything except for what Horizon Chimera, the one five, and even yeah. then it's only it's, just, yeah, you know, it's... You're just, they're just bouncing off each other, so yeah. I'd much yeah, rather maybe. have the 3-3 three, three or the 4-4 than the 1-5. Yeah, yeah, that's the guy that's um, single-handedly gotten games out of hand as quickly as you can yeah. well, he's, you ever want to, whatever want to see in a he's, format. He's the ultimate Voltron target, oh, I think, yeah. and yeah. it's not close. It's And it's one of those things where, like, yeah, I don't know, I've seen that card just do so much work where it makes... I, I had this happen at me against me at GP Oklahoma City. I cited in a, uh, a last breath against my uh, blue-white aggro opponent, and he was either attacking me with this card or with the, the blue-white gold guy that when you target him, he gets a plus one, plus one counter, and you get to scry yeah. one. Yeah, right? battle-wise hoplite. Yeah, there you go. And uh, I go to last breath this thing in combat, thinking, okay, I just have to deal with this before he can start targeting it and getting it out of hand. And he uses his own last breath to target it in, in response. And oh. God, like just the, the fact that he saw that play where it would pump up his guy to the point where the last breath would no longer remove it. But the fact that he targeted it, put it out of range of my own last breath as well was just, it was backbreaking. I had, I did not see it coming. It wasn't even a trick I had considered because yeah, I mean, I just consider that spell a removal spell and not a trick, but mm-hmm. Oh man, that was, that was a blowout. Yeah, yeah, I got. This sounds like it. Good for that guy. Do you um have you talked about? You haven't talked about uh the GP OKC on this yet, have you? No, not a whole lot. Um, there really wasn't a whole lot to talk about, to be honest. I mean, I I could, but um, I don't know. Maybe we'll dive in a little bit after this list. Okay. All okay, right. Sounds good. So um, we're at Wingsteed Rider, and are you with Wingsteed Rider? Oh over? yeah, no, I think the Rider is easily the choice here, and I kind of because I like Arena Athlete. I think that card is good, but Wingsteed Rider is just in a whole different class, and I kind of wanted to, to illustrate that here. Um, it's, it's essentially a bomb in this deck, right? Where like it's a three mana card, and that's essentially a like a five mana bomb in other decks. In the aggro deck, that three mana guy is really right, essentially the top end of your curve, and then you're just cycling things on it nonstop. Well, that this that's this is the kind of card that lets aggro aggro decks exist because if the aggro cards weren't this good, the the only decks that would be good would be the ones pumping out big monstrosity dudes. You know, um, I, I think he's just a good balance to the format in the sense that an unchecked Wingsteed Rider can do just can just win a game outright, uh, and it's one of the few cards that at three mana that can happen. You know, and I've seen a lot of people play it at uh, at four. Just leave up God's willing, or oh yeah, why well, not? Depending on what the uh, the matchup is, or just leave up leave up some sort of one mana spell where you can in response to their uh, removal spell, get it up to four toughness right away. Yep. Or three toughness and protection or what have you. 
All right, next up, we got another heroic dude, uh, Wingsteed Rider against Phalanx Leader. How uh, would, you, how would the... you like to win this game, sir? Would you like to swarm your <laughs> Would you like to have a swarm or one guy? Yeah. Um, I would go with the Phalanx Leader on this one. Um, I think it's it's easier to draft a deck with a lot of creatures and a Phalanx Leader than it is to draft... From what I when I've been able to tell, a Wingsteed Rider with a bunch of spells that go all in on it, because Phalanx Leader is kind of like a like a four or a five drop in my mind. Yes. Where it's you want to hit the table and then like maybe cast your Dragon's Mantle or cast your Chosen by Heliod on it, and then also have some instants to protect it with or to trigger on it right away and treat it like an overrun. You treat it like an overrun or what? Like from last uh, from Ravnica block the. What was the the courage not the unflinching courage spell but the um plus three plus three Celestia enchantment that I'm drawing a blank oh, on oh yeah uh, conclave oh, blessing man. Or... conclave blessing something like that yeah yeah yes yeah it's it gets that absurd that quickly and I think that's an easier board state to just outright win on even if they deal with your creature even if they deal with your threat then um than the all-in on the Wingsteed Rider. Like you said, the Wingsteed Rider is the aggro check, but I think the, the Phalanx Leader is the overrun for a white-red deck, which is something that hasn't had. And, uh, I mean, I guess you can make an argument for Rally the Peasants as being a previous overrun, but Phalanx Leader is really just in a class of its own in my mind. Yeah, the fact that it's a permanent boon to all your dudes and yes. yeah, that it grows toughness as well as power is, is mm-hmm. pretty, pretty special. Um, yes, yeah. Next up, Phalanx Leader against Coordinated Assault. Speaking of uh, cheap instants. Mm. That's tougher. I've never been... I've definitely never been faced with the pick. My inclination is that it's still Phalanx Leader. I could see them both being... Because it is easy to find heroic enablers in some form or another. You can go on mm-hmm. the Chosen by Heliods. You can go with the other like common pump spells. Uh, coordinated Assault is definitely a nice, cheap, and unique effect. Uh, that can really gain you a ton of tempo in this format. But but the fact of the matter is that there are a lot of cards that target creatures in this set, and to get the the, the guy you actually want to be targeting is probably more important. I'm with you. I'm with you. Yeah, where I think that trick is a little more versatile, but if we're talking about just for the white-red deck, no matter what shape it takes, where it's you know 12 creatures and a bunch of spells to cycle on them, to maximize heroic, or a bunch of creatures and only so many spells. Um, I would still take the, uh, I think I would still take the leader. Well, okay, if it was a bunch of creatures, I don't know what that bunch number would be that I would take coordinated salt over the leader, but I think in the most typical case and the best case scenario, you want the phalanx leader. Yeah, I agree. Alright, uh, this might not be much of a different pick for you, but um, phalanx leader versus dauntless onslaught, which is a little mm-hmm. bit different than coordinated assault. Uh, but kind of in the same vein. Yeah, I would um, I would still go with the leader. And for, for all the same reasons, essentially. For all the same reasons, I think in a lot of situations, the Dauntless S- or Dauntless Onslaught is only going to provide two more damage, um, and for two more mana, that might not be uh, like really any better in a lot of situations, and especially when you can cast the um, excuse me, cast the uh the one mana version and be able to play another spell is going to be typically better. So if it's, if a phalanx leader, I take it over, um, excuse me, uh, coordinated assault, then yeah, I would have to take, uh, I would have to take it over the dauntless also for that deck. 
All right. So, but if you were comparing Dauntless Onslaught to Coordinated Assault, you're saying you'd rather have just the cheaper version, the cheaper yeah. spell? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Would you take yeah. either of those cards over Wingsteed Rider? I think I would still take the Rider, but that's just because I think Phalanx Leader and Wingsteed Rider are the two best heroic cards. Well, probably outside of Agent of Fates, and maybe maybe they're even just... I don't want to say the better Agent of Fates. That seems, that seems like a stretch. <laughs> but those are like the two very best. So when you're comparing the cream of the crop, if those are the two best heroic creatures and potentially the best uh, targeted spells are Coordinated Assault and Dauntless, or at least towards the top of the list. So... I guess yeah. it isn't saying too much, but yeah, I think I still would take the Wingsteed Rider over those spells. Yeah, now if, if you were put into a position where, let's say in pack one, you opened up like two Wingsteed Riders, and then in pack two, you opened up a pack that had a Coordinated Assault and a Phalanx Leader, I think you could make the case a little bit better for the Coordinated Assault in that yeah. scenario, because you already have the two heroic creatures. Yeah, yeah, and when you... It really maximizes multiple heroic creatures. When you've seen your draft go towards having more creatures, more heroic creatures, in particular, right. more spells, then it becomes much more important to get those uh, those two targeting cycle of spells at uncommon. So yeah, yeah I, I I would say you're definitely right. You can make the case, but it takes a certain amount of heroic creatures already, good heroic creatures, for you to want to take those spells over you know, yeah. cream of the crop, like a phalanx leader or another writer. Yeah, I think the lesson is just as always, that you need to be fluid when you're drafting and you need to be able to say, okay, these two cards are very close in power level. What, based upon my previous picks, do I need more right now? Mm -hmm. You know, and, and I, I mean, that's what drafting is all about. Absolutely. All right. Um, do you have uh, much time left? I know you were talking about having to get, get out of here pretty early. Uh, no, I got a little bit of time. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, yeah, I guess I could talk about GP Oklahoma City a little bit, although... It was two weeks ago or even three weeks ago at this point. And uh, it's not appropriate for all viewers. No. <laughs> Actually, I mean, as far as the trip goes, it was relatively tame in the sense that we got there late Friday night, woke up, played Saturday. Uh, I mean, John and I both played all the rounds on Saturday, which yeah. took us to, I think, 9 or 9.30 at night. Uh, uh, I made day two, so I didn't want to get, like, crazy. Uh, we went out and had some drinks, but, like, came back to the hotel early. Got up Sunday for some drafts. We were there. I was there drafting all day, and then I actually had to drop before the the last round of Swiss because we had to go catch a flight. So I was basically playing Magic all weekend, um, and it was very good for me in the sense that I hadn't played very much Theros before going at all. I didn't go to the pre-release. I had drafted once and opened up two sealed pools with you guys yeah, yeah. <laughs> the Tuesday before or the Monday before. Um, and so the fact that I made day two with that little preparation, I, I'm not, I'm going to toot my own own here. I'm pretty proud of that fact. Um, and coupled with the fact that my two losses were to, uh, what's his name? Shuhei who crushed me. He just mopped the floor <laughs> with me. And uh, to, well, that's okay because you got him at, was it uh Pittsburgh, right? Uh, Philadelphia? No, Philadelphia. I got uh, Watanabe at that one. Oh, okay. Well, Shuhei okay. ended up winning at Philly. He was the guy who right, won right, that right. Yeah. So, I mean, no, no one touched him except yeah. for his first round loss, right? So. I think, yeah, I think so, man. That guy's a master. Anyway, um, he he was he gave me a lot of respect in game one uh, when I, I left some mana up. And I think it was because I talked to him like, oh, I haven't seen you since Philly. This is great. Like, 
I mean, we're both doing pretty well, you know, just chatting him up a little bit. And he's just a really qu- quiet person in general. But, um, yeah, he, he gave me a, a lot more respect than I was due in that first game based upon the cards that were in my hand. So I appreciated that. That was very nice of him. <laughs> then again, his deck So when was... he mopped the floor with you, he mopped slowly. <laughs> oh, yeah, he, he took his time. He, he, he got that, that floor clean. <laughs> yeah. Um, cool, yeah. man. No, but he, uh, I, I think, if anything, he was like, well, my hand is really good because my deck is insane, and I'm just going to be patient, and that's exactly what happened. He just made sure he won the game, and that's what good players do. Mm-hmm. So, um, anyway, uh, I lost to him on day one, and I lost to... Uh, Will Lowry, a guy, a guy who made top eight, uh, I think went undefeated on day one and through most of day two, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. Um, but yeah, so I mean, my two losses on day one were to a couple very good players, and uh, yeah, I felt I felt pretty good about my showing. Uh, day two was rough, man. My the not having drafted more than once really came back to bite me. Um, not necessarily to the point where I felt like I drafted poorly. But I wasn't quite prepared for the various styles of decks I was going to have to play. Mm-hmm. I hadn't seen a blue-white heroic deck until that day. That just ran me over, and <laughs> it had some. It was playing spells that I had kind of assumed were unplayable or just fringe playable. Uh, like what? Well, uh, say Aqueous Form, please. Uh, Aqueous Form is one of them. Uh, Fate Foretold was another one. Okay. Just cards that, like, I, he'd play a Fate Foretold, and I'm like, really? That card's no good, is it? And, like, I'd read it, and I'm like, oh, okay. And he'd draw his card, and he'd be like, all right, whatever. I mean, it's it's not making his creature any better. And then I, like, look at the removal spell in my hand, and I'm like, man, if I kill that, he draws another card? This is a beating. Like, that, <laughs> I mean, it's, I, I still think it's a great card, but just he found a home for it in his deck, and I was pretty impressed by that scenario, so... Um, yeah, it's, it's insurance, right? Like you get a little bit at the start, and you you pay your little due, but yeah, on the way out you're gonna get even more. So well, especially if you're trigger, if you're getting a heroic trigger off of it, like the card is definitely very playable. And oh yeah, I uh, was not quite prepared for that. Um, See, so I went one two in my first draft with a blue black control deck. Um, it was not bad, but it didn't have enough ways to kind of go over the top and win the game. Yeah. Uh, I remember seeing it. That's exactly what I was thinking on first impression. It was it seemed like you would get yourself to the late game pretty safely. But yeah, it was one of those like it was very limited. It was a it was a bend and eventually break deck. You know, it was like I'm weathering the storm. I have these bounce spells. I have some removal spells, and then it's like, well, are these two one flyers and two two intimidate guys going to get me there in the end? Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe not. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, in the second draft, I feel like I drafted a much better deck. I drafted a very aggressive white-red deck. This was the the triple Dragon Mantle special, nice. and that deck was actually really good. It had a uh, a Phalanx leader in it. I had a bunch of heroic enablers. I had two arena athletes, and I could put my opponents on a very fast clock. Um, in the first round, I actually got a buy because I was in a seven pod. In the second round, I played against that aforementioned blue white heroic deck and it was a very good match against a a very good player i I apologize for not being able to remember his name he was qualified for dublin the following week so i I obviously knew he had some chops based upon that information um and i won one of my games pretty handily and then in another game i had gotten the game to a state where 
I, we were racing, pure and simple. Uh, I cracked in with all of my dudes, including a cavalry Pegasus, uh, and cast another guy to block the one threat that he had that would have been lethal coming back at me. Um, I think my attack put him to one, right? Or, or two or something like that. And I had a swarm of dudes. And he untaps, draws his card for the turn, and just bestows the 2-2 flyer onto his one threat and just flies over the top for the win. And, ah, Jesus. and I'm thinking about it going like, man, I feel like I, I, did, I did that pretty well. Like I was definitely racing and he top decked to beat me. But if I had really thought about it and really kind of slowed my process down and thought about, do I really need to give all my humans flying? Do I need to attack with this Pegasus? The answer was no, because the difference was like putting him to to one versus putting him to two or putting him to two versus putting him to three. And I had enough dudes to the point where that one damage was irrelevant because on my next swing, I had enough guys to get through unblocked with everything, you know? Gotcha. And e- so, even if you had to chump with the Pegasus. Right. And uh, stuff then. yeah, so it, w- it wasn't like an obvious punt at the time of my attack because I was only losing to a top deck. But the fact that I left myself open to lose to that top deck in, in a, a blue-white deck, you know, a deck where I know one of the common cards in blue is a bestow creature that grants flying, you know? Uh, there, there were just a lot of cards that possibly could have beat me there. I mean, there were a lot of cards that he could have drawn in his deck that would have done nothing. I would have won that game. But I, I gave him that one out, and he happened to draw it. And so that, I mean, again, it wasn't an obvious punt, but it was a punt nonetheless. Uh, so I felt kind of bad about that one, but again, that kind of came down to, I felt like I wasn't prepared enough for the gameplay of the format. Uh, yeah, yeah, where you would get that from reps. Like you always evaluate, evaluate, <laughs> you always evaluate cards really well, and that's totally clear. Like, you've evaluated the format, the limited format, or sealed format, well enough after seeing two sealed pools to put together... I saw your deck. Your deck was good. You know, it definitely wasn't one of those broken, sealed decks that just is, of course, going to make day two. But it was good. It was good enough that if you piloted it well, you could make day two. That was and exactly what happened. I feel like you I played, are the master. <laughs> <laughs> I, I played that deck to pretty much the maximum of of its capabilities, and I mean, I had some very good cards. I had the Arbor Colossus. I had uh, just some good Polis solid Crusher, creatures. Right? Polis Crusher, Arbor Colossus. I did zero. not. I did not have Polis Crusher. No. Oh, okay. But I had a couple, I had like a Rage of Perforos. I had, I was able to splash to Lash of the Whip very easily. Um, but yeah, I, I, I piloted the deck very well. Just in general, I think Sealed is my best format. I'm, I'm very good at analyzing Sealed pools and figuring out, maybe not the best build every time, but a very good build. Yeah. Like 95% of the time. And not to say I didn't make some mistakes in deck building. I left a... Uh, just based, I, I made some like really dumb decisions. Like I played the the equipment that grants haste and flying main deck when mostly because that that was another thing where I just kind of misevaluated the formula. Like, well, I think a lot of the best decks are going to be green and red, and so I, I'm envisioning a lot of board stalls where I'm going to want this equipment that grants flying so I can go over the top. And what what you don't realize is that there aren't board stalls in this format because board stalls get broken up by those bestow creatures, by the monstrosity yeah. effects very easily. And yeah, I, I just, I kind of misevaluated that and pull, played that card when I shouldn't have played it. Like there were games where I wanted it in after board, but for all the game ones when I had it in there, like every time I drew it, which thankfully wasn't that often. If I had drawn it more <laughs> often, I would have probably lost more games and more matches, but 
yeah, I, I, I definitely needed more reps in gameplay. Yeah. Uh, before the tournament, and the, I paid paid the price. But I mean, I think I ended up in like 98th place or something. Uh, af- after I lost to that blue white opponent, I dropped. Um, and did you know that you couldn't have made money? Yeah, Jeff Jeff broke that down for me a, a few Good. days later. Okay. He's like, yeah, if you had stayed and played, like the best possible spot you could have finished in was like 65th. And even then, like he did more math and said you probably would have been in 69th if you had won. So <laughs> I was like, okay, great. Uh, <laughs> Disclaimer: He did this while he was at work on Monday morning. <laughs> Jeff's the best man. That that yeah. guy, like, he doesn't have time to podcast with me right now on a Sunday, but I can fire up G Chat any day of the week during uh, business hours on the East Coast, and <laughs> he'll talk picks with me. He'll talk the tournament results. It's great. Uh, and again, I hope his bosses never listen to this podcast. I but. hope so too, because we we. Toss him under the bus more than a few times. I know. Well, I mean, even with him on the podcast, I'll toss him under the bus. But yeah, <laughs> thank God that nobody nobody's willing to sit through an hour's worth of uh, me and you talking about limited content to, <laughs> to really get to the dirt. <laughs> to really get to the dirt on Jeff at the end of every episode. Oh man. Yeah. Well, um, I'd like to wrap things up here. I, I, I mean, do you have any other questions about the tournament? I I kind of just gave a, a brief synopsis of what went on there, but I mean, it was yeah. it was fun. Yeah, it's more um. I'm not necessarily about the tournament, but just the idea that, and you were right to toot your own horn, you had barely any experience with this format, but you can make it day two. And you don't just dumb luck your way into day two because, well, I know how you play, I know your skill, and hopefully other people do as well. I'm sure it's pretty easy to get that from listening to you and seeing your finishes at, you know, GPs before. But does that make you, does that make you want to be able to play more? Does that make you want to play more magic? Like, when oh, absolutely. You, when you got on the tour, and you didn't make it uh, back on the tour, right? When you didn't finish in the money. Well, yeah, I remember asking you a Tuesday, like, well, do you want to get back on it? And you're like, yeah, yeah, I really <laughs> want to. And it was the it was the slam. It was the snap decision. I want to get back on the tour. And I feel like of all the people I know that could, just with a little amount of time, could get on the tour, like, you're that person. There's no one else that's like, that's kind of... Well, you're not half-assing it. I know you just have other interests. You have other things in your life. But that's that's what just, does it for me. Is like I, it's I feel like I could get back and I want to get back. But with that said, there are so many other things that I also want to be doing, and unfortunately, there are plenty of things that I need to be doing, whether it be work or you know what have you. That just that time commitment to going to PTQs grinding gps is very it's difficult for me to make that commitment and i I, i'm sure i'm not alone in that regard as far as magic players out there particularly magic players listening to this podcast um and and like you we talk about like we talked about boland and nathan and those guys i think are up at or or went to scg seattle this weekend yeah and there was a ptq pretty close to here yesterday i think Mm -hmm. in the in the greater bay area and I'm not doing either of those things because I just had other things I needed to take care of this weekend. Yeah. And, uh, it's, it's interesting. I, I'm, I'm not, I definitely don't want to ever quit magic again, but at the same time, like that, that writing is on the wall in a sense where you, you see like, well, what are my goals for the game? Like I, I, again, I can say like that I'm a good limited player and that I can day two a limited GP, not with ease, but with, with, tight play and, and a decent pool, but like the, 
just yeah, the, the the time commitment it takes to get back on on the pro tour. I'm not sure I can make that right now or maybe ever again. And that's a little disheartening to me. Uh, but with that said, like, I don't know. It, it's not to say I couldn't just go to another GP and, and top four again. You know, the way that GPs yeah. are working now where they're qualifying more people and they're paying out more people, I have more incentive to go to those. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I think we've already talked about just through email chains next year's season and, and where we want to go and which, which GPs we want to attend. Um, I'm sure we won't go to as many as we've, we've like dreamed about going to or planned about going to in these email threads. But, uh, I do think I, I have for sure, <laughs> but I, I guess that's where I'm at now in my magic career is like, I'm willing to be the guy who will just show up to a GP and hope that I can just have a good day or a good weekend and, and, and qualify that way because I really yeah. don't have the time to, to, to PTQ grind, you know, I, I just can't do it. Yeah. Especially when for a PTQ, it's less of a, it's less of a whole experience of life. It's more of just for devotion to the game, devotion for being the best of the game, like driving up to Christ where we're at driving up to Sacramento. I've heard is just one of the most miserable venues you can possibly play at where it's cramped and the AC is terrible and only one person is getting that invite. That just doesn't seem like, if that's what your goal is, to just win, to just win out of those hundreds of kids that are showing up there, it's you set yourself up for a lot of disappointment. But to make a whole weekend out of it and travel to a foreign city, uh, be with your buds, have that camaraderie, and then just, you know, take in, take in someplace new. It seems like that's a that's how we're just going to have to qualify for the Pro Tour at this stage in our career. Yeah, totally. I actually talked to um, a judge on site there. He he recognized me from other GPs. They're like, man, you come to a lot of these, don't you? And I'm like, well, I, I try to come to as many limited ones as I can. And I think his name was Josh. And he's like, well, where are you from? Like, California's like, really? Like, you came to Oklahoma City for a limited GP? And I'm like, well, yeah, man, I like to play. And I, I really love limited. Uh, and we just kind of got to talking about what drives you to come to these things. And ultimately, I came to him like, me and my buddy, decided to come to this because one, we like to play magic above all else. And two, we wanted to come to a new city. Neither of us had ever been to Oklahoma city before. It turns out Oklahoma city was really fucking boring, at least while we were there. Uh, so, I mean, but I mean, that's, that was part of the fun. You know, it's like you wander around this, this ghost town of a downtown area and you're like, where is everyone? Like, What's going sure on? You guys were downtown. <laughs> I think we. I'm pretty sure I, we went to like the the hip like restaurant area with like a brewery and and the brewery had plenty of people in it. Don't get me wrong, but half of them were magic players. You know what I'm saying? It was it was really weird. <laughs> I, I yeah, it's but th- that's what it comes down to. It's like it's the travel. It's it's if you do scrub out, you have a buddy to go drink beers with, or you have uh, a day to go ride bikes around Vancouver. You know, absolutely. Um, and we, we talk about this on the podcast all the time as far as Grand Prix go versus other possible magic events. And for me, I like to draft once a week in person, like paper magic. Uh, I try to get an online draft in here or there when I can. And other than that, it's, it's limited GPs and that's, that's where I play magic. Like that's, that's my style. That's what works for me right now. It's going to be all the more impressive when you're back on the Pro Tour after, you know, making this statement that you play Magic like once a week when you can and maybe online when you can and GP here and there. And, yeah, you'll probably make the Pro Tour again in your lifetime. So yeah, I, that little practice. <laughs> well, I think that just speaks to just how long I've been playing this this goddamn game. Yeah, you know? and, well, no, seriously, though, like just the, the reps that I got at a very young age, like I'm 31 years old 
uh, and I started playing Magic when I was in junior high. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there was a hiatus in there. Like I, like I said, I quit for a little while. But the fact that I've taken these lumps over and over again, bad beats, and, and the fact that I'm willing to kind of look at my game and different formats, like you've seen all these things before. You just have to learn how to kind of reinterpret them every time a new set comes out. And specifically since I came back to Magic, I've only really played limited, and that helps. Like, being a limited specific player means that if I go to a limited GP, I do feel like I have a distinct advantage over people who play constructed on the regular because mm-hmm. they're two completely different games, you yeah. know? And, yeah, I don't know. I Like, being able to sit down with a sealed pool in half an hour and figure out what the right build is versus having a week, two weeks, three months to figure out what the best constructed build of your standard or modern deck is. Yeah. Like, they're two totally different skill sets. Online information. It'll right. Be based on what you've read and videos you've seen or whatnot. So yeah. Right. But when you're put in that moment uh, for, for limited, whether it's draft or sealed and you have a time limit to, to interpret something that you don't know what it's going to be until you get there. Like mm-hmm. that, that's where I think I derive most of my, my skill and the ability to kind of, to gain a leg up on, on the competition and make day two after having only drafted the format once, you know? So, yeah. um, again, like I, this is getting way too, you're right. I am a humble person for the most part. The fact that I said that probably makes me seem not humble, but like, <laughs> I feel like we've been talking about me way too much. And, um, yeah, I don't know. Let's talk about Jeff and how little work he does at work. In <laughs> <laughs> there. Anyway. Uh, but yeah, dude, I want to wrap this up uh, and uh, get some sleep. I got to get up early tomorrow, and I know you got some stuff to do. But um, thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, I've been Greg. He's been Ryan. Uh, if you want to get a hold of us, um, you can email us, eastwestdraftcast at gmail.com. You can find East West Draftcast on Facebook if you just search for the show's name or if you go to facebook.com backslash ewdraftcast. I'm trying to kind of ramp up. And I think I say this probably like three times a year, trying to ramp up like what we post on there, at least providing updates, you know. Um, uh, so, yeah, check that out. Uh, we have a website, eastwestdraftcast.com. You can find me on Twitter at EWDraftCast. You can find Jeff on Twitter at Jeff, J-E-F-F-E-W-D-C. Uh, Ryan doesn't do Twitter. But, I mean, if you email us or, or contact us through Facebook or whatever, I'll, I'll make sure Ryan gets the message that you all love him to pieces or, or hate, hate him to death. One, one of the two, right? <laughs> Very polarizing character. <laughs> yeah. I... <laughs> All right, cool. But yeah, man, thanks again for coming on, Ryan. I... <laughs> yeah, dude. Great, it's, great it's, to see you. It's going to continue to be a rotating cast of characters, and hopefully uh, all you listeners like it. So um, until next time, uh, we'll catch you later. Adios. Draftcast out. Jeff Boyce. <laughs>